0: From the MGMA in home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: Therefore, data should never be the focus of the presentation. Rather, data should provide the foundation. So then your data and research becomes actionable. So, my The whole approach to this keynote is is to get you thinking about your ideas, your research, and your findings, and turning them into powerful presentations
0: supported by amazing, engaging visuals. That's Ira Koretsky talking about creating powerful data presentations. We'll hear more from Ira in just a moment with more insights on the art of storytelling. But first, a word from our sponsors. As a healthcare organization, Do you feel like processing your claims is too manual or takes too long, or ever feel like you're just leaving claim revenue on the table? Zoll AR Boost is a real-time accounts receivable solution suite from Zoll Data Systems that simplifies and expedites your pre-billing process. By delivering accurate, actionable data to reveal hidden coverage and drive self pay and high deductible conversions zol ar boost helps ensure that no payments are left on the table visit zoldata.com/arboost for more information unlock an easier way to schedule your team with deputy no spreadsheets no hassle when staff want to swap shifts and no last minute panic when someone calls out sick. Deputy simplifies staff scheduling, automates timesheets, and streamlines team communication, all in one easy to use platform. Deputy does it all so that you can focus on the work that matters most. Ready to take Deputy for a test drive? Start your free trial or contact their team at deputy.com. Our guest today is Ira Koretsky. Ira's a leading keynote speaker and the founder and chief executive officer of the Chief Storyteller. Ira will be the closing keynote speaker at MGMA's financial conference in Atlanta on April 2nd. And Ira is here today to explain the art of storytelling and the power that can be found in using data and visuals in the storytelling process. Ira, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks. Uh, love to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Now, you are a keynote speaker. You're the CEO of the Chief Storyteller. Um, give our audience a little bit better idea of who Ira Koretsky is. Um, you you and I have been talking offline, but would love to have you share some of those career highlights, that that path to where you are today. Sure. You know, since I am a storyteller, I'm going to, Start with a
1: story, of course. So (laughs) let let me start where I think it it all started. And and this is literally high school years ago. Kevin, a friend of mine, uh, referred me to a company where as I think was 11th grade, might even been 10th, I was paid to do computer programming. And I was kind of getting bored. It was the same stuff over and over. And I don't remember exactly what prompted me. I was looking for a challenge, maybe school. And I created this program on the heart and the circulatory system where you moved your cursor keys around and you press certain buttons to see where you were and to learn about the body parts. Now keep in mind, this was 1980s. I'm programming on a TRSA radio shack. It had a cassette recorder where you recorded your programs and it was 16K, that's K like kangaroo of memory, right? So it was Mm -hmm. insane back then. And I don't remember how, but my 12th grade science teacher learned about my program and he just bugged me over and over and over again. I just didn't want any more responsibilities. I was in twelfth grade, ready to graduate, and also I, I, I didn't say this. I was in high school debate. I was doing drama and plays, and I did morning announcements. So I had a really full plate. I finally said to the to the teacher, "Okay, I'm going to do it." So fast forward to the to the competition, and there I'm walking around. There are some really amazing projects, and I really honestly felt like the projects overwhelmed me, and they were going to they were going to win. And when it came time to announce all of the prizes, one by one, they were announced, you know, third, second, first. And I busted my butt, but I, like I said, I didn't really think I was going to win. And I, I just didn't think I was going to win and, and I lost. Right. Then I never heard of this, a grand prize, the, the hurt, the chairwoman announced we're awarding the grand prize to a young man who could sell me my own pair of shoes. And I knew when she said that, that it was me and it was true. And when you combine all of my background, which was morning amount, uh, morning announcements, debate, acting, uh, I started the computer club. I mean, it's did a lot of things as a young man. It came together in the presentation. So I won more because of the presentation than I did for the project in and of itself. My contemporaries had amazing projects. They just didn't know how to wow the judges with the presentation. So it takes both the brains and the public speaking to set your apart, set yourself apart. And that's always been my entire career has been marketing and product and helping my clients be better at what they do. So in terms of like specific career highlights, I was in the army as a chief information officer of an army hospital in Monterey. Uh, I was a public affairs officer in the Washington DC helping a healthcare IT uh, organization throughout the army. I worked in high tech for about five years. Uh, I was a government consultant. That means, it, at least they call it around here in the, gov- in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, as five years as well. I started the chief storyteller about 20 years ago in 2002, and, and that's a whole story in and of itself behind why that happened. Um, I've been very fortunate to be invited to speak in a dozen countries. Um, I've actually worked for Fortune 50 companies, nonprofits, got two government agencies, the country of Georgia, government of Mexico. Uh, business storytelling, data storytelling, marketing, public speaking, and then, of course, with a big smile on my face, I'll have some new stories in just about a month uh, after my time with everybody in Atlanta.
0: That is great. Thank you for uh, summarizing that and sharing some of that storytelling uh, with it as well. I want to ask you something real quick here because it doesn't seem like you uh, have a problem with this, but um, there is that... uh, that idea that public speaking is one of the greatest fears that human beings have some people would say they prefer death to public speaking (laughs) and i know you coach people so what is it what what is why do we have that fear for public speaking and, and presenting information that we want to share with people so interestingly enough it's on my blog i don't know how many years
1: ago somebody had asked me something similar and i looked up phobias Mm-hmm. And there are, I don't remember exactly how many, let's just round and say there's about at least listed non-scientific 450 to 500 phobias. There are more phobias associated with public speaking and communication than any other grouping there is. So theres fear of public speaking, fear of loud noises, fear of crowds, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of men, fear of women. I don't remember all of them, but they all, I counted them up. There's like 22, 23. And I think public speaking in and of itself, the focus is solely on you. You're in the spotlight. You're a one-person show. And it creates this anxiety that few people can ever overcome. Now, to be quite candid, I'm always nervous when I do public speaking because I want to do a good job. When the nervousness becomes anxiety because you're not comfortable and confident with your content, that's where it explodes and, and creates this just terrible angst. I remember this young woman, actually wasn't young, uh, middle 30s, and she was a very successful saleswoman for an organization. She would literally throw up before Mm -hmm. every public speaking of basically two or more people. And I, I couldn't alleviate all of her anxiety, but I got rid of a lot of it by helping her realize how much she has to share. And we just needed to create a structure so I have these these frameworks. So for for example, for her it was the the great presentations framework. For the folks in Atlanta, we're going to go over uh, that as well as the the data storytelling framework. So I've tried to simplify the world of public speaking and storytelling to reduce that anxiety. Uh, I'm not a doctor in that regard, but it, there's there's just so much with public speaking that you're just laying your heart out and, and your whole soul and. and and nobody wants to watch you fail. Mm-hmm, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the good part. But I mean, I, I still get butterflies. And remember butterflies, the very first time I did my huge keynote, it was 1,200 people. And my face was the size of, you know, New York, the New York Times, <laughs> not, not New York Times, uh, what do you call it? Time Square. Yeah, Times Square. Yeah, Times <laughs> Square. And it was just scary. And people were coming up and, saying, hey, Ira, how are you? I don't know who they were, but they right. knew me. And, and that was extra, and it was being filmed. This was, I don't know, 2004-ish, so this was back when, you know, YouTube didn't even exist, mm-hmm. so I appreciate it, and, and I try to get in people's head. I understand their culture. Like, culture has a big influence, right? If you're from an Asian, Middle Eastern, um, generally, accurately, the funny thing is anybody outside the U.S., they just, they don't brag like we do. They're not, as they don't have the bravado that we do, and so that's hard when you come into the U.S. environment, and then if you come from just a personal structure, you know, your own gene, not genealogy, uh, what's the right word, uh, genetic makeup, where you're more of a shy, introverted person, that's going to be a challenge. And, and if you take your audience, I'm going to make the assumption, go out on the line that many of the folks here are left brainers, finance types, technical types, data experts, and public speaking is not their main,
0: main thing. Okay. So I I do want to delve back into your history just one more time, and then we're going to get into a little bit of the storytelling and what makes a good storyteller and what makes a good story. But first of all, you said you were in debate, theater, all these other different opportunities to speak all the way back in high school. How did you gravitate to that though? Did you just, was there a light bulb moment or did you Do like a third grade play where you had a soliloquy? I mean, what what was it that you went, man, I I love this stuff. I love getting, even if I have those butterflies, I love speaking in front of this audience. Well, sorry to burst your bowl. (laughs) Anything like that.
1: My parents, now, uh, hold on a second. I remember her name, Mrs. Darling. I wanted to, since I love computers, I took typing. I was the only boy in the class and I didn't join to to meet girls. I joined to (laughs) learn how to type. People call me a liar and I'm okay with that. I, I wanted to learn how to type and I, and I did. Now, debate. My parents forced fed me debate. I mean, I, it was like the only time I remember crying for not doing something wrong, right? Getting in trouble or be, being forced to eat soap. I was told to eat soap once. It was a potty mouth. And, uh, and they forced me. They, for, and they kept saying six months and then they, they said three months. And that's when I fell in love with debate. And that's what was the precipitating or inflection point in my life. From debate, I joined drama. I was did morning announcements and all the other things. I, I even did other things I didn't even mention already. So it was debate. And then I loved debate. I loved um, the two-person debate. It was two-on-two, two. Um, the, the thinking on your feet, the stress, um, coming up with ideas, uh, ensure, um, influencing the judge with great data. We had, we used, um, what do you call those? Uh, four by six note cards. That's all you're allowed to size. Mm -hmm. And we had these huge briefcases with them. You could have, I think you could have as many cards as you want, but it it, it ate away a time, but but you had to combine data and messaging and communication and body language all at once. Ended up being a New York state debate champion, one of 26 students from New York state as a high school um, senior. So that's really what precipitated all of the love for everything else okay and then I
0: want to, yeah I want to jump ahead to something I'm going to come back to some other items but you keep talking about data and you know data can be you know that <laughs> binary aspect of data there's there's a number there's an X there's an O you know there's one two three but you are a visual uh, you know data storyteller um, that's where you had mentioned a few times you're going to be in Atlanta at MGMA's financial conference. I was going to be the closing keynote speaker that Saturday, April 2nd. And I will put in registration information in the show notes so people can go sign up for that. But um, your session is titled Paint by Numbers, how to create your story using data. Explain that to us. How do you bring that visual element or that storytelling element to data? Right, so my goal
1: is to encourage you, the audience, uh, to think differently about presenting your data. All too often, people, and this is what I found, very, very typical. They go to the last iteration and update it. So if you have a repeating report, you'll take last month's data and you'll update it and you'll put the same exact Excel spreadsheet um, your, your time plot, your, your bar chart, whatever it is. And I want you to think very, very differently about how to put information together because data doesn't have a voice. It has no context, no ability to persuade, influence. Only the presenter does. And even if the presenter is writing a narrative, only that person, because if you look at the chart by itself, it, it needs to communicate something and generally it doesn't communicate anything by it by itself and I want people to change that so you become the voice therefore data should never be the focus of the presentation rather data should provide the foundation so then your data and research becomes actionable so my whole approach to this keynote is is to get you thinking about your ideas, your research and your findings and turning them into powerful presentations supported by amazing engaging visuals. Once you know what your audience wants, what are they gonna do with it? Right, a lot of people just uh, like give you a super quick example. I did presentation for a very large finan- a very large federal agency. <laughs> they <laughs> are very large. And um, I was helping them with their elevator speech, their networking and how to communicate. One of the gentlemen had been at this agency for 30 some odd years and he raised his hand and he made a confession and he said, I don't even know what people are doing with my data. Hmm. And I wanted to scream and shake him and go 30 years. You never asked. And I said to him was that's awesome. You know, make it your goal today. That's your homework is to reach out and, and create a coffee meeting. And he goes, yes, I'm gonna, but he just he wasn't either given the permission or didn't think about it. So that's what I want people to think. I want them to have this presentation where the data comes alive because the story they're telling about it. Now, the story doesn't have to always be some amazing personal story. It's just what is the context so that the numbers in and of themselves and you don't just say, well, in 2013, we had 42 new customers, right? So that's what I want people to think. So one of the key aspects is Think of stories in terms of a problem you're solving. Think up differently about your data and the research and the findings, and then how to present them visually, and then where I can present uh, ideas for people becoming more confident, and then all of that is foundation is great storytelling techniques.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things you're going to be talking in detail about is identifying the best visuals to support your proposal. We've all sat through presentations where you see that same stock photo of people around a a corporate board or hands reaching toward each other, (laughs) you know, it's just, I don't know if those are great visuals. Um, So how do you, how do you identify what a good or successful visual is to, I mean, how do you get that skill set where you're not just going to stock photos or you try some quirkiness that (laughs) kind of sinks the presentation and derails it so what i do when i'm creating and or i or i tell my clients
1: is type in the ideas that you're trying to communicate into a your favorite internet search so if we say um uh, let's just say success right i just came to mind that would Mm -hmm. probably fall into the trap of overused but let's just use that for an example, unless you have a better word that comes to mind. Type in success and then click on the images attribute in whatever your favorite browser is and see what pops up, see what ideas come up and see if you can't use that. The other part is potentially outsourcing to a design firm or somebody that's an individual graphic designer and see if he or she can't change the image for you to make it more specific. Change the colors, for example, and make it more brand specific. Um, the other thing to do is use icons. Icons are super popular right now, as long as you don't overuse them. Same thing with the concept. So for example, I've got one client, we probably have 10 different, we have five services, and then there's like five attributes across. So I have probably, no joke, spent three or four hours looking for icons, and they only changed two out of the 10 because I spent my time doing the homework on them. Um, that's, so that's what you want to do. And then here's the best way to find images. Take your own pictures. Mm. So take pictures of your staff. Now, if the staff doesn't want their face, have them look down, but still make it clear it's a real photo. Mm-hmm. And then put a label on your chart on your visual and, you know whatever color works or you know reverse type, whatever so it's easy. And you could put your office 2018. you can even put the person's name. and then if people don't mind and they're using their face, go for it. Um, you know have take a side profile of a patient saying hello to you know, someone at the desk or take a picture of the, the waiting room of, of, a, of a practice and, and put that super light um, in the background or put a white uh, light white opacity to it. Mm-hmm. And then make that the background for your new customers or new patients. Okay. Now you have a very custom tailored photo that communicates directly to your audience right so i wouldn't get it i wouldn't know that your office because i don't work there but the employees would immediately or investors would be or the board of directors because they know what your office is okay so I tell have, them, yeah i'm sorry go ahead
0: no no i was just going to ask you as far as we're talking about visuals what are your thoughts then on the usage of either video and or you know maybe a, a comic strip or a you know there's sometimes those witty comic someone will use, or they'll incorporate a 30 second or a minute or so clip of a video. Do you incorporate those or encourage people to do those as well?
1: 1 billion percent, yes. So in my all of my presentations, I always have visual examples, and I always show uh, video, always. So I'm going to show, for example, a video, wonderful video, about three and a half minute story about Jeff Hoffman and his interaction with his daughter to illustrate a point. Um, so wherever you can. Absolutely. Um, try and make sure you adhere to copyright laws. You don't want anybody to ever to come after you. That's that's not good because it could cost several thousand dollars. So make sure they're copyright free uh, when you search. And then um, the, the comic strips are generally almost always copyrighted. So be very careful about that. What I have done and you can still do is I've purchased from the New Yorker graphic library. I think mm. it's called the Cartoon Bank right. for, I believe, 19.95. So that's $19.95. You can buy pictures, uh, graphics, to use in presentations only. You can't print them. And so for 20 bucks, you can have wonderful illustrations. Like I have one about that's, I don't even know if you can buy it anymore. It's about the PowerPoint fairy. It's, it's just <laughs> awesome. I've got another one that has a cat. And the man says to the cat, never, ever, ever think outside the box. Um, you know, because you want the cat to be in the litter box. So right, I, I, you know, and I have probably a dozen or more. And also I hired my own gra- um, cartoonists to develop probably another dozen cartoons that I've had over the years. And, and then I, people don't even realize how powerful your mobile phone is, even an older version, to take pictures. Just take pictures. Um, it's the best way. And it's something, for example, that I call the Today story. Um, something that happens to you that seemingly has a very low impact can actually make for a very interesting visual for your meeting or to mm-hmm. illustrate a point. Um, you know, if, if you're an equipment manufacturer and you're driving and you see a competitor's piece of equipment not working properly, we'll bring it in and show people what well, can you learn from that or whatever it might be, a billboard,
0: uh, uh, whatever. I mean, there's hundreds of ideas you can use to make your stories better mm-hmm. and your presentations better. One of the ways to make it better is through humor, and I want to ask you a couple of questions about humor, but I first want to start with you. In addition to all the other things you do, you haven't mentioned it yet, but you also do comedy improv. How does that play a role? When did you branch off into that as well as part of your repertoire uh, of public speaking? Because that is a form of public speaking there.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Um,
1: Improv, was never on my radar. I always wanted to do stand-up, but going back to your original comment about phobias, I have so much fear about failing. And the thing about stand-up is you really have to memorize your your monologue and and what you deliver. And I sometimes deliver the punchline to the joke before even giving the joke. (laughs) I'm just terrible at jokes. What I am good at is speaking on my feet and listening and really taking in the environment and so when my girlfriend of the time and I remember this very specifically because I fell in love that day I don't remember the exact day what I do remember is October of 1993 my girlfriend took me an improv show and I went to three more shows in the next month or two I just felt like it that was me right there because everything was off the cuff because it was in the moment, extemporaneous. That's really what improv is about. And this was a Comedy Sports, S-P-O-R-T-Z. And it's, an, it's actually an international franchise, but the majority of the franchise is around the country. So you can type that in and go and just have a blast. And it's all uh, PG or minus ratings. I call it G-rated, so everybody can go. And Patrick, we're still friends today, I don't know how many years later, whatever it is, 20 years later, announced that they were doing public workshops. I signed up, it was January. Uh, they offered tryouts. I made the team in March. And Daniel, you want to guess what my first day was performing? Uh, that day? <laughs> I don't April 1st, April Fool's Day of 1994. <laughs> that was my first day. And so I performed for about 12 years in both Washington, D.C. and San Jose, California, in about a thousand shows. Um, it's just, it's just, it's in my bones today. And what it is, about improv that makes it special and what makes it universally applicable to everybody is the unwavering aspect of being fast on your feet. And it's not always about being funny. I'm not the funniest guy on stage. I'm clever about responding and being in the moment. And so that's what it's always about. And that's the thing about public speaking that people, I think, are also definitely afraid of about avoiding Q&A. Um, So I'm a big fan of whenever you get asked a question, answer it. Now, I may not give you all the details because I might have the full details later, but I'm going to answer everybody's question. Nobody Mm -hmm. likes to be told, hey, Daniel, your question's really not important, so I'm not going to cover it. That's the perception. I know that's not what the speaker means because they want to cover it when their section covers it because there's a flow. So you have to know that nuance about how to answer the question just enough that the person's happy and still not um, impacting negatively your flow. And so that's how in, improv has influenced my storytelling is if, you know, you asked me a question and I was going to tell the story a certain way, I may change it differently knowing now I've known you for a while uh, or I may change my message slightly. So that's what I do. And then because of all the years of, of doing improv and teaching improv, I've adapted warm-up exercises and regular exercises into my own library of about 200 verbal and written exercises that address every conceivable concept in communication, creativity, think on your feet, messaging, storytelling, presenting. So I use all of these. And in fact, the the Great Stories framework that I have and the Great Presentations framework are based on a, a story framework that came around years and years ago, as well as my own Public speaking and understanding your audience. So I, I've combined and merged all of these things together.
0: Mm-hmm. When you coach people specifically, when you're trying to transfer that information and, and those techniques and processes of public speaking to others, what are some basic uh, guidelines? What are you focusing on to help them? And what I'm thinking about here is we were just talking about humor. Not everybody has the um, biggest funny bone in the world. And so they're kind of a square peg round hole trying to tell a joke and it's, oh boy. And there's a little um, golf clap of uh, nervous laughter for them, but uh, because it's not natural to them. So how do you get them to bring out the best that's within them to be the best public speaker they can be? I think what, without realizing
1: you answered your own question. Mm-hmm. So I tell people like there's a lot of people that have this rule, never tell jokes, never incorporate humor. And I disagree a billion percent. I am not a great joke teller. You won't hear me tell jokes. What I do have is humor built into the presentation. So for example, the Jeff Hoffman video that I mentioned to you, he has humor in there, mm-hmm. or I may show the, the, uh, you giggled at the, and the PowerPoint fairy, and they never think outside the box jokes, right? So I'm not being funny, but my presentation has elements of humor. Now, I tell stories that have funny aspects. You're not going to fall outside off your chair based on my humor. I want you to laugh, uh, uh, to smile rather, and, and, and and to agree with what my point is. I'm here to entertain, not to, you know, like a stand-up comedian. So that's what I figured out was my strength is using other people's humor in what I do. Mm -hmm. So if, and I'll make, again, go back to that stereotype uh, of of a left brainer, is they're going to be great as experts. So start small, just start telling stories that have an interesting punchline, Uh, use character dialogue. That's what most people don't do in stories. And then- it's always easy to make fun of yourself, self-deprecating humor. And you can't just look for a smile. It's not about a laugh. Um, men, make fun of yourself. Something that a wife said but never make fun of your wife. The, the audience will be totally against you. There's <laughs> something about human behavior. If you look at all commercials out there, they never make fun of the women. Never. Mm-hmm. Um, so never make fun of women. Uh, make fun of yourself. Um, if you have children, not too much children jokes because people that don't have children don't like that. Um, but there, there could be a video, like you said. Commercials are a great example. Um, there's wonderful commercials out there that can illustrate your point, even if you have a heavy subject. Um, one of my friends does emotional intelligence, and she showed a video. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's about a young boy, maybe 12, who's in a wheelchair. And one friend out of all of them decides to invite him to play basketball because everybody thought he couldn't play basketball. And what they did was they accommodated his learning and they all sat on um, milk crates with wheels or skateboards and everybody did that. And and it was just a super heartwarming story about being aware of your audience, and that could be one of your messages: is you know, what are we doing for our customers? What are we we aware of? What what they're coming to us? What they're brought? Right. So it doesn't have to be a one for one. Mm -hmm. And the same thing for the humor: as long as it's connected, same kind of thing. Find your own uh, space.
0: Okay. So, do you have a? a website with resources or where would you point people? They're they're hearing you talk about this, but if they want to learn even more, learn some tools or some steps to take, where would they go? Where would you point them for that? Absolutely. I know you guys love tools and I'm a big
1: tool guy. Um, so just as a, as a quick uh, recap, uh, folks at the conference. So if you come to the keynote, you'll learn all about the great stories framework and a little bit about the great uh, presentations framework because it's a keynote i can't go super deep um, if you go to the workshop which i think is three hours then i'm going to go much deeper on that for the people that want to get a taste of the great stories framework it is available in an online version on my website so it's thechiefstoryteller.com or you can type in ira koretsky k-o-r-e-t-s-k-y i'll be uh, coming up at the top And then you click on the storytelling navigation item, scroll down and you'll see the short version and the long version. The short version is what I would start with. um, And that will make a little bit more intuitive sense when you are after the workshop, the long form version will make more sense to you. My blog, uh, you can click on just the blog button which is on the right-hand side in the navigation element has over a thousand articles related to every subject on communication, public speaking, data storytelling. Um, It has probably 30, 35 examples of stories, um, links to videos, all the resources somebody could want um, to either, even if you're a more seasoned person, I have uh, skill building and challenges for those types of folks as well.
0: Okay, so everybody, that's thechiefstoryteller.com. I'm going to put that link in the show notes that you can just click right on it, go right to it. So I have a final question for you then. So many of our listeners here and most of that audience you're going to speak to in Atlanta coming up, deal with data. There is a moment in their careers or on a day-to-day or weekly or quarterly basis where they're going to be analyzing some data or they're going to be presented with the data and then they have to present it either to their executive team or to outside Uh, partners, whatever that might be, what should their goal be? Let's really condense that down. If they're going to sit down and they're just looking at these reams of numbers and it's just a lot of information, you don't want to lose that audience, even though they're um, tied to what this information may say. So how do you condense that down, make it enjoyable, entertaining, memorable, memorable? They walk out of that meeting and remember some of those key numbers there. So how do you achieve that? you've got to
1: ask, and I'm going to cover this, the question of what is your audience and what is your audience's audience going to do with the data? And it could even be a third group down the line. If you start thinking about what their purpose is, is it for decision-making? Is it for education? Is it for investment? Let's say more capital, for more equipment, or hiring more employees, whatever it might be, that will change how you put your data together. Once you understand your audience, then think about what your data will be. So it's always understand your audience first. When you do that, 99% or more of the time, you'll change the way you present your visual and you actually rethink, do I need a bar chart? Maybe I could just use three I call them infographics, but I don't want them the people to think they're complicated. Three pieces of data. You know, that's it. Just simple large 36, 40 point type on your slide. Those are the three big numbers you want people to remember. So that's what it is. It's what do you, what are people gonna do with your data? And we're gonna cover this at the workshop and the keynote. It's it's about what I call the better tomorrow message. How are you making your audiences' lives better? And that's that's the way you'll make everything and change the way you think about everything. Guaranteed.
0: All right. Well, Ira, that is so helpful. Um, Good luck uh, in Atlanta. And thanks for joining us today, sharing some of your stories, your storytelling process and looking forward to catching up with you again. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. See you in Atlanta. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Ira Karetsky. If you're interested in furthering your presentation and public speaking skills, go to thechiefstoryteller.com. Also, Ira will be the closing keynote speaker at MGMA's financial conference, which will be held March 31st through April 2nd in Atlanta. You can go to mgma.com slash events to register today. Also, thanks to Deputy and to Zoll for sponsoring this week's show. As a healthcare organization, do you feel like processing your claims is too manual or takes too long? Or do you ever feel like you're just leaving claim revenue on the table? Zoll AR Boost is a real-time accounts receivable solution from Zoll Data Systems that simplifies and expedites your pre-billing process. Go to zoledatacom slash ARBoost for more information. Indeputy simplifies staff scheduling, automates timesheets, and streamlines team communication all in one easy-to-use platform. Deputy does it all so that you can focus on the work that matters most. Ready to take Deputy for a test drive? Start your free trial or contact their team at deputy.com. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast and put down five stars in that review and to access all of our podcasts go to mgma.com slash listen if you want to add to the conversation email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on twitter at mgma daniel stay safe and thanks for listening